if you don't get the deal, always find out why. And I think as surprised that we just don't actually find out why. Because it could be the fact that, oh, well, in this, at this moment, somebody was based, again, it could be the best friend or somebody was based locally or somebody who, who had, uh, you know, maybe someone who had language expertise, something play in their favor. Yeah. And that's why you have to understand that don't go and pitch for every single project. Find a project that are most, you're most likely to win and focus your energy on that. My name's Mike Lander, and you're listening to Marketing Negotiations, the good, the bad, and the ugly, in partnership with The Drum, where we bring you negotiation insights from CMOs, agency leaders, and acclaimed authors. Lavilla, amazing to see you, uh, and also to hear you on The Drum's Marketing Negotiations podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, Mike. I've been waiting for that moment with you to have a conversation because we know the two of us can talk forever. We can talk forever. (laughs) (laughs) We had this pre-call conversation and I think it went on for like an hour. We both had calls to go to. I think we could have carried on for quite a while. So yes, it should be a fun chat. I have said it's a fun chat. And you're a brilliant man and you haven't even, you know, and the fact that you are a brilliant son as well makes it so much easier. And I think that was just easy to just carry on this conversation with you. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you. No, I loved that. I really enjoyed it. So let's hope our audience enjoys the conversation as much as we did. Uh, so yeah. a bit about your background. Kind of, um, kind of, you've got a very interesting background and success story. So just kind of a bit about that. Yes. You know, I love this question because I've run into different careers that I didn't expect to do, but yes. you know, sometimes you have to follow your heart and sometimes you don't find your passion and you practice it. But I spoke in my accent. I'm, I am French and I came from, I left Paris, the ghetto of Paris. I want, I don't want, I want to emphasize that it wasn't the beautiful part that you know that we see in movies, the ugly part. And I didn't speak a word of English when I came to this country, but yeah, so I studied economics and law marketing and I went into, before actually working in the creative space, I used to work in oil and gas, which is a completely different industry. But, you know, from that space, which I love was the traveling, the, you know, the cultural differences, you know, find myself in the Middle East, find myself in different countries in Africa and Asia, really opened my mind in the importance of diversity and also adaptability. Then from that space, um, you know, I've always had interest for fashion, but from the point of view of fashion as a way to express but personal branding, we actually know that it was a thing. Personal branding was, a, was actually a name. But I knew how you can really use the power of how you power dress to get, you know, to be respected, but also be taken seriously. So I use it to really help my friends, whatever it is for date or whatever it is for anything else. And then I decided to quit my job and started my, entered my journey as an entrepreneur and um, the rest was history. So yes, I worked as a fashion consultant also with um, brands. Brands that don't lo- no longer exist, such as Debenhams. I'll tell you how long ago it was. Debenhams, L.K. Bennett's. I don't know if that's still around. But yes, yeah, so some brands who were great and have built a brand reputation, but have lost a sense of experience and how we can bring customers back into the shop for more than just buying your cream and then getting out, you know? Yep. And I always love to tell that story because my ex-partner was a, was a plumber and, um, I, you know, on his website, he had a boiler on the homepage. He said, why do you have a website on your, on, uh, why do you have a boiler on your website? He said, that's what I do. I said, wait a minute. That's, not, that's probably what you do, but that's not what you're selling. He said, what do I sell? I said, have a pleasure being at home. And without knowing myself, I was like, this is branding. He said, do you know what you're doing right now? I was like, you're doing branding. He said, oh, what is that? And I started self, you know, searching. 
And I literally started learning, getting, reading books and how I can transition from fashion consultancy to, you know, branding and also personal branding. And what people do is that I've never, ever worked through for another agency but my own. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. So God knows I mean. So you've learned it made. all as you've gone along. Exactly. Learning as I go along, but also by hiring the right people, which is super important, so we've worked in other agency and get there faster. And then, yes, and then, you know, as we grow as an agency, you know, we also realize we're a bit of a jack of all trades. You know, telling our clients, pick a niche and <laughs> not doing it, working still on then guys, FMTG, and so much more, and decided, yeah, technology is going to be our focus because we love to work with the change makers, the people who are actually disrupting, but in a good way, and see problems and want to fix it. And that's how I find myself as now the CEO of the creative branding and marketing agency. But this is one of the main things that I do. I think being young, that I've also find a way to do interesting things around my sphere, I think around my industry, to really push the, you know, bring the change within, within the technology sector. And who do you, who are your clients mainly, Flavilla? What kind of clients do you oh, have? It's a, so most of our clients obviously are tech SMEs and but also large brands. So we can't among our clients, you know, Meta, who was done who has made a big effort on really hiring diverse led, you know, agencies, which is important. Shell as well. We count as well, you know, Toyota, we count HBC. So a few brands that we've been able to, you know, to work with where, you know, we're still a small agency, but at the same time. People trust us. I mean, that's something, I, this is the reason why I wanted to talk about, come and talk to, on this podcast, because people always think that you have to be a huge brand to be able to have huge uh, companies under your belt. And, you know, I can't, even with my non-profit account, Apple, I can't Google, I can't AWS, PlayStation, and so many more. And we, we've been able to really differentiate ourselves, which we're going to go into details into that, because I've seen so important. That's how you also, you know, increase your power of negotiation. Exactly. So let's talk about, we've got some topics to talk about, but what I'd like to find out is as you talk, you mention topics that I find interesting. So a couple of things I've written down. Um, first of all, uh, adaptability. Um, but let's start with um, SMEs working with big brands, because it is a bit of a myth that if you're going to work with Shell, you have to be a big agency or a network mm-hmm. agency. And it's not true. But how do, you, how do you, first of all, get into those big brands? And get them to, you know, raise your awareness with them. So we'll talk about that kind of like marketing, how you do that. But also then when you start engaging with them, these big complex organizations, how do you negotiate deals with them? So how do you get mm-hmm. into working with, you know, companies like Meta and with Shell, which most SMEs would go, that's years away before we can do that. How do you do that? Yeah. Yes. I think it comes back. <laughs> this question will become back as well to my big ego. And I think which is that I believe I that you don't no, need to have an ego, you know, Flavilla. You've got you a personality. Say, yes, I think this is what it is, personality, but also you have to decide who you want to work with. I think, you know, one you know, a few years ago I say, I want to work with AWS, I want to work with Google, I want to work with Apple. We laugh at me and said, Well, okay, well, let's see how I do to get there. And I did, you know, and so forth. But I think first deciding who do you really want to work with? When I'm on stage, when I speak on stage, I say over time, you know, do not be picky in terms of the clients that you want to work with because at some point you're going to resent, you're going to resent your business and it's going to be, you know, you know, it's not going to be something that you're going to look forward to every Monday. And I remember my last talk in Vegas and this woman came up to me after my talk and she literally was crying in my arms. Like, oh my gosh, what did I tell you? It's like, I just realized I'm in the wrong business. I'm like, oh, okay. 
great nuggets to make a change. So yes, first of all, decide who you want to work with. And when you go to this big, it's one thing I've learned working with these big companies is also, it's not because that you big that you are better. I think it's so important. You know, small, you know, small enterprises have developed an expertise and have developed an expertise of self-affair that they probably don't have. Hence why they're looking for something specific. And again, that's why it's important to not position yourself as just a, a generalist, you know, uh, you know, we do everything. What is the thing that you can bring to this large organization that I haven't been able to, to target? Exactly. I What's your superpower? That, yes. So I, my superpower is also how I build my team. I, as I mentioned, when I've traveled around the world, I realized that I was very narrow-minded. So I, would, I used to say, oh, this is strange where somebody will eat or do something differently. I said, it's strange because I believe that my way of seeing the world was the standard way. Well, if someone who is more experienced with traveling, they would say it's different and therefore I need to learn to adapt. But what's important, I, I want to tell you this story because one of my first projects, uh, I, went, I, I went, I used to be a member of the London Chamber of Commerce and I went to one of the events. Hey, I can see on the list you are, you run an agency, right? So yes, come with, to, come with to Cambodia. I want to open the first Formula One restaurant. I was like, what? <laughs> They're like, okay. So I was like, okay. <laughs> Like, you know, those opportunities don't happen every day. No, they literally, don't. So literally, we find out the contract I arrived in Cambodia. I say, I want you to be, to be in Cambodia so you really can understand the culture. Because what's happening in Western countries is not the same here. Yeah. And I always talk about this billboard. You know, we were walking around the city and I remember this so billboard. So how do you find out about the culture? So uh, fascinating. How do you, yeah. we all talk about it, but really in Cambodia, how do you really understand yeah. the culture in Cambodia? Um, race. Yes, yeah, so I would say to people, like, when you travel, do you stay around, or, uh, around, you go into a private resort, or do you actually stay within a place where you can speak to locals? That's the best way, first of all. That's why I hate resorts. I can maybe do it for two days at some point, I get bored because I would literally eat my body weight. It's really only interesting. Let me like, don't do that. Like, I got it, but it's, it's already paper. It's, I'm going to have it. So yes, I always try to find a way in terms of how can I send to boutique hotels, really lovely as well. I have high standards, people know me for that. But I want to be as much as possible close to speak to locals and really see how they live and what they think. Because I think sometimes, you know, people, you know, detach themselves. Like, so first time when I came to, kind of came to London, I didn't stay around French people because it was the easy way of doing it. So I say, I'm going to find myself immersed. People have to understand my accent, and I have to understand their accent. But that's how you grow, you know? And that's how you also understand cultural differences. So, again, something, you know, when you work on another project, don't assume that your way of thinking is your way, is the, is the way of everyone. That's not the case. So, you know, being in, in Cambodia, you look at, the, look at the billboard, and you see right in the middle, you have white men. Around the side, you have Eurasians, which are mixed, you know, mixed Asian and Western. And then right on the end, you have a Cambodian. So the perception of Cambodian when it comes to appealing to them, it has to come, it has to come across as you have to make look as the, the Western are embracing it for them to like it. <laughs> wow, that's very strange. Why do you do something like that in England where you put someone else? Well, you know, British people, French people are very proud of their culture, you know, but the Cambodian was a different feel. And that's why I realized, oh my God, if I have to work with some of the largest brand, I have to make sure my team is diverse. And, you know, and that's, that's what they that I did from the start. Diversity, diversity, diversity. Now I have a team with, um, you know, 80% female. And uh, again, something, but not only diverse on, in terms of gender, but also diverse in terms of age, but in terms of ethnicity. You know, 
even from different background, India, black, you know, white, you know, people were in their 60s, people were in their 20s. But that was important because, uh, you know, we live, I well, live to see the world completely differently. And that's also, you know, when you, and also this is what's important is that in the technology space, one of the biggest issues is diversity. And some companies are, are taking a stand for diversity. If you take a stand for diversity, you also take a chance, a stand for who you choose to work with, right, as your agency. So, you know, female-led, you know, black-led, to the diversity-led, this is how I play my card. So my negotiating skills was like that. And again, I want to tell you, you know, what you said to me, I have a big personality. So I never hid behind my brand. I've always built my personal brand. So it means that my, so my relationships are with CEOs or CMOs, not with procurement. So by the time procurement comes in, not always, but by the time procurement comes in, I've always built the relationship. So the, the only thing is just onboard her. <laughs> ah, so in- no, 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 let's unwind yeah. that a little bit. So that's a fascinating topic about, um, how do you, um, how do you work with a, uh, a brand CMO? You build a relationship and you solve their problem in a way that no one else has been able to solve it. That puts right. you in a premium position, which makes right. it, if I look at my old role as a, as a buyer in procurement, then when I meet you, it's really hard to benchmark you because you're solving a problem that no one else has been able to solve with a senior right. stakeholder who said, I need this problem solved in the next three months and this person's the person to solve it. It mm-hmm. puts you in a very strong negotiating position. Correct. And I've always used that. And that's why when we look at uh, everything that we do, it doesn't just revolve around the agency, but we build content, we put events where we bring out CMOs or CEOs, CEOs together. And I think that's so important. So because at one point they're going to need us, you know, people say to me, oh, I'm if you friend, you know, the CEO of Tailswater or the friend of the CEO of Logitech. Because, you know, first of all, I know where to build my, my brand on what platforms. So LinkedIn is one of them. You know, and again, something I utilize, you know, the power of networking behind that. We have that so key. And when a CMO leaves that, their position, they're usually interested in bringing you to the next business as well, which is important. So that relationship building helps you as well um, navigate, you know, full procurement challenges <laughs> as you do it. Because um, I think, you know, we understand, I think one thing that is so important is that everybody has a job. A procurement person is not the, the monster. Their job is to you know, to be able to control costs. But at the same time, if you're... And to improve governance, to, to make sure that, yeah. that we're working with brands that are reputable and that aren't going to yeah. damage our brand. So, Correct. yeah, they've got they've got all sorts of roles. They've got governance roles. They've got inclusivity goals. They've got savings goals. They've got risk goals. Mm-hmm. And I think and I think a lot of agencies often don't think about, they're just doing another, they're just doing their job but with a very yeah. different lens on. Mm, absolutely. And the best way, get to think, I love what you just said, is that do you understand who you are in front of you? You know, when, when you're talking to the CEO, when you're talking to the CMO, when you're talking to a procurement team, it's different. Show you also want to help, as much as they, they have a job, show them how you can help them understand the value that you bring so we justify why they will onboard you for, you know, under your red card, you yeah. know, which is just super, super key. But yeah, that relationship building doesn't happen just with the, you know, the COCMOs. It also happens with the procurement, but that's in the later stage. So how do you um, articulate value? So especially in mm-hmm. your kind of, uh, in your world, Flavilla, which is mm-hmm. it, it is more nuanced around yes. branding and brand building and positioning. How do you demonstrate value? 
versus the <laughs> fees that you're going to charge. I know. It's true, right? Because people can think that it's very fluffy today. I'm having a new logo for <laughs> 5,000 or 50,000. I don't see the difference, do I? Yeah. <laughs> but again, you know, this is why it gets a bit from the start when you, when, when, when we're on board or having great case studies, what I've met is that you, you, you take from the start. I think quite often when we start a brand project, they say, okay, great, get started. But have you taken the right, the metrics you, when you start with your clients, where they are, so you have a dashboard where you can measure the sentiment, you know, you know, the, the brand recognition, the brand, you know, advocacy and so much more and evaluate that. Use that to obviously um, get a new client on board. So you can say, this is how we measure it. This is where we started with the client. This is where they are right now. This is something so key. You should be able to, you know, to decide as well with your, with your clients. What are we going to, what KPIs, key performance indicators are we going to measure together? What are we going to focus on? Are we on a brand awareness journey? Are we on a brand conversion journey whatsoever the design so forth but from the start so then you use your cases to validate this is what we achieve we serve so much person such so much company and this is what we can we can we can do because if you if you hire us on the hourly base you know it doesn't make sense because I probably would take two minutes to come over with positioning because of 15 years of experience right so it doesn't make sense for you to say well it's pretty the opposite. So for me to spend five, you know, 50 hours, I can't spend 50 hours. It's up to you. Or do you want me to get the work done effectively? And this is a conversation and education that I need to have with them so we understand how it works. So this is the irony you know, of procurement people is that yeah. all, my, all my peers that procurement people, as you'd expect, well-trained, professional people, as we said before, doing they're just doing their job. The danger with procurement people often, I find, is that there's, it's too easy and too quick to race to the rate card that the rate yes. card becomes the the measure of value. Well, it's nothing like the measure of value because an hour of your time is worth 15 years of your experience. Mm-hmm. Well, how do, you, how do you benchmark that rate card? You can't. And you so can't. applying that rate card measure to you, I think... Um, is uh, it's a it's a false economy, trying to negotiate people down to the lowest common denominator of rate card, as opposed to the value that you're creating. I mean, interesting about the value creation, the baselining, critical, clearly uh, KPIs, SLAs. Um, but how do you manage that negotiation? Where let's say I buy into Flavilla this idea that we're going on a journey together of developing yeah. a new sub brand within a big brand. And we're going to talk about, we've agreed some KPIs. And, um, but of course, what I want to do is I need to show the impact. So what I want to do is tie your fees to my impact. But of course, you're not in control of the impact. So how Mm -hmm. do you balance that so that I know you've got some um, investment in the outcome, but you're also covering your costs as well? How does that negotiation work? How do you put your fees at risk? It's a very good question. And I'm not even sure I have the answer because I've always tried to avoid the mathematics. <laughs> <laughs> my job is always, because I'm, I, I tell you, I can't say the name of the company, but I remember when we presented, oh my gosh, what do we have to do with this record? I said, oh, it's too high. So I'm not going to say the name of the company, we're saying it's too high. I said, okay, well, if you want to play the game, I said, okay, well, if you want me to be cheeky, I'll be cheeky. Well, if you want me to, to 50% reduce the cost of my record, that's fine. Something that would take me one hour, I would charge, I would just charge for two hours. Simple as this. But really, what does it create? It just creates, again, as I say, resentment. Yes. 
That's why it's so important because even when, I, you know, this is where it's so important to decide who do you want to work with and who values you. The choice is also yours. You know, if you feel that this company doesn't value you, say no. I have no problem firing people <laughs> on both sides. I know that some people are not in a position where they can do that, but I've always wanted to be where we have such a strong brand within, our, within the space that people know that, right, if this is how you want to do work, fine. I think we both understand each other. So therefore, I stay away from procurement. If you want what you want to, you know, you want to be able to stay with Red Card, then that's fine. Not all projects, this is what I want to say, Mike, like not all projects will fall into the Red Card. So some projects are usually high um, um, value-based projects. We can't be, you know, time, then it's a different type of pricing. But when it's, for example, okay, we need to do a, a new brochure, then that can be done under the rate card because we've done it, we've done the work before. So it's about really evaluating what falls into, into the rate card kind of project and what one is falls into the value-based pricing where we need to have a separate conversation, you know? I think about the, I think Olympic logo for, I think it was, for, was like something like a million pound. How can you price a million pound for a logo? Whether... <laughs> I'm not saying I'm a fan of a logo, but whoever won that project, you know, value that it was worth a million pound because of the reach, you know, the merchandising, the design, so forth. It's a big deal, a big deal, and you don't want to get it wrong. So that that understanding, that that value that you bring in, the risk that you reduce by your expertise, that's how you play around. What falls under the rate card? We run it. What falls under value based proposition? And therefore, we separate the two. Because again, if I'm asking you to do hundred brochures, um, I'll pay you a different unit price per brochure than I right. would for the the brand idea, the positioning, and the uh, ROI calculator than I would for the production of the brochure. I think this is really interesting about, and I, I don't know what experience you've had of this, but as a buyer, I've had quite a lot of experience in this area of um, uh, menu-based pricing. There's a trap for agencies, which is... Mm. Let's say there are, there, are, there are six big deliverables in the work that we're doing. Um, and um, you bundled the price, and the whole price is £100,000 for the six. What I'll try and do is go, Flavilla, just, just break that down for me. Let's just get a sense of where we are on each of these deliverables, roughly how much per deliverable. The moment that happens, you're doomed. Yes. But I'll start to take you apart, deliverable mm. by deliverable. Because I can mm. benchmark 100 brochures as a deliverable. Well, I know what the unit cost of production for a brochure is. So I can then start to chip away at your individual um, unit pricing. So bundled pricing and holding firm as if you want us, you buy the entire service. Mm. If you only want I to buy myself. a bit, we're not a pick and mix. You're not down the local supermarket picking which sweeter you want out of the cabinet. That's not yeah. how we work. <laughs> That's so true. And I find myself, you know, I find myself in a situation I, I got, I'm not going to lie, I've made so many mistakes. And that's one of them where I just need to break it down. Tell exactly what it, And you just say, again, when you fall into that trap, then it's like, okay, can I take this one off? Can I yeah, take this one off? Right. I don't need this. I'll have half like, of that one, two of those. Yeah. Can I have that one in pink, that one in blue? Don't do that one. I'll have that one later. What's the price for Villa? And you're like, oh, God. <laughs> oh, I no. I spent hours, I hours, I was like, I just want to go home. I don't want to yeah, do this I just want to go home. I just want to go home. <laughs> exactly. But this is, you know, this is why I spend a lot, a, a lot of time to avoid myself falling into those traps. And, and you know, sometimes it does happen. Sometimes it's just a, 
a transaction. I think sometimes when you feel it, it's just a transaction yeah, and for just sure. no cash flow, then let's have it. But again, you have your, you have your star brand, you have your, you know, your, your, your preferred customers that you enjoy working with. So, and again, something, again, I'm very big on protecting the sanity of my team because I know how yeah. I also affect them when you have a client who just ask for so much, you know, and it's finding that right balance in terms of what are we ready to pay, to prepare to accept and how many of them are we prepared to take. And really focusing us on having that power, that negotiation, negotiation power. People say, yes, Lavilla, I want to work with you specifically because it's not just about your delivery, but it's also what your brand stands for, who you are. It aligns with our vision and what we stand for as a company and so much more. So I've just written something else down. I like writing notes as we talk because I'm, I'm a bit of a slow thinker. So I'm just thinking then about anxiety and negotiations. And we talked before is that understandably, you rarely, if ever, get that anxious in negotiations because you've been doing it for well over 15 years. But mm-hmm. if I look at you as a person, what comes across is, and I've seen you on stage and I've seen you uh, on uh, videos, you're very self-confident. And um, therefore, going into a negotiation, you're, you won't be anxious, you'll be self-confident, you'll know your positions, etc. Um, what would you advise people that are maybe less confident than you? and that do suffer from anxiety, how do they calm the anxious mind? How do they calm the chatter and the churning in their stomach before they go into a negotiation? Any thoughts? Yeah, I love it. It's such a great question. Because, you know, you know, imposter syndrome, anxiety is, is, is part of being human. And I think we can't stop it. You know, as much as I've been on stage hundreds and hundreds of times, I think it'd be anxious at the beginning. And it's about how you manage anxiety. And I say anxiety is always, think about, basically thinking about anxiety is the fear of things going wrong. So why you, why you, you worry that things might go wrong is also because you don't, you can't control the outcome. So you have to think in terms of what information, first thing that you need to control is that who is going to be, when I go into this negotiation, who is going to be in a room? <laughs> exactly. First knowing who's in the room. Okay, what do we what do they want to know? Gathering all this information prior to the talk. I remember the first time I went to a negotiation and it was just me and I was 20 people on screen. <laughs> what the hell is going on? And some people were not even on screen, so you can just hear their voice. Thinking, oh wow, this is, this is a lot going on. But so understanding who is going to be into this into this meeting and what are they expecting as well? And how can you prepare yourself the best? I think preparation also reduces anxiety. And I say in terms of a men- yeah, in terms of a mental state, I always say that when you when your mind starts imagining the worst, flick it around and imagine the best going through your head. And at the end, and I would say that you know never put all your eggs in one basket. I've seen myself against something like that. I've done so many mistakes. So I've I've invested like two weeks writing a proposal, and then at the end, then the guy went with his best friend. You know, it's 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 painful, and in the, and the CMO felt really bad for me because you know in the process it was just like I put all these people forward, but in fact you went to your best friend who was an agency. So again, something like reading and telling in terms of are you going to room where you have definitely power, or you just seen as a, another you know sales you know agency? Do you know who's going to be in a room as well, and what do they want to achieve? And ask those questions. Don't be afraid to ask questions. I think the more you challenge them a little bit, it makes them feel that you know what you want. Don't be like. Okay, no, just, okay, no. Sometimes it's important to also drive the conversation. What do you we need to we need to make sure we know what we want to achieve? And I think it's something like when you start working with big brands, you know, a lot of people are clueless. <laughs> Not all of them, 
very people don't know. So you have to also project manage them so they don't waste your time. You know, sometimes I find myself like in the past where loads of meetings that I didn't need to be there. We could have done that in maybe in, in one meeting instead of 10 meetings. So don't be afraid to project manage your new client because that's what also they hire you. They hire you because you're an expert. So therefore, you lead as well in your behavior, which is so important. And yes, prepare yourself. And, and, I, and I say always be prepared for objections. People will challenge you. They're not going to say, okay, great, thank you so much. If they don't have any questions, that's a, that's a bad sign. <laughs> but you know, it's a really bad sign. If they have questions, if they're interested and want to know a bit more, and so, and so be prepared to, you know, to answer objections and so much more. But, and I would say to people, the best way to prepare for any kind of negotiation, try negotiating outside another environment, you know, working during English, you know, go to Marrakesh. <laughs> yes. Go to the go bazaar. To the market. Yeah. yeah. Go to the bazaar and negotiate, see how you do it. I'm the poor. I love this. You know, <laughs> like, put, a, put a bit of cash there, put a bit of cash there. It's like, okay, that's what I have left. As soon as you see the money, you can say, okay, I'll just take it. You know, so know it exactly your audience and go to an environment where you can practice your negotiation with kids. Kids are great, great example of negotiating with them, but tough. It's usually say it's my way or no way. So if she can negotiate with a child, then you become a tough negotiator. <laughs> <laughs> so Flavilla, I think so the big the big topic here, the umbrella topic is preparation. And I say this a lot to clients and to friends and to business colleagues, is they say to me, So how do I calm my anxieties, I say, you prepare well. Simply preparing well and preparing your, your mental process for all of the things that might happen. Running a session, mm. for example, you know, with their team. So let, let's say it was you. I'd say, well, look, get three or four of your team. They've got diverse backgrounds. Um, brainstorm all the worst things that could happen. What's the worst possible thing that could happen? And then flip it around and go, well, how would I answer those questions? Mm-hmm. Once, you, once you've faced the devil, once you've faced the worst that could possibly happen and you've prepared your mind for them, well, everything else is straightforward then. Sure, you might have missed something, but the mind's a very, I think it's a very strange thing about if you thought it through and really thought it through, then when it does happen, well, you just recall it if you prepared well. Yeah, other things you said, yeah, who will be in the room? Absolutely. If it's going to be 20 people, find out before you walk in. It's 20 people. Um, what are their expectations? Because they've all got different agendas. Um, imagine the best, not the worst outcome. So once you've done your brainstorming of the worst questions, imagine, and I think sports players do it a lot, You um, there's a, a, a visioning technique. If you're mm-hmm. playing golf, you envisage the ball going in the hole. Because when you play your shot, you're more likely to get it in the hole because you've envisaged the end. As um, Covey said, start with the end in mind. Um, yeah. And taking control of the conversation. You're absolutely right. If I'm in a room and you're uh, we're negotiating a deal, I, I want you to be strong and confident and know your expertise. I want you to challenge my thinking because my thinking may be wrong. So your job is to help me avoid buying the wrong thing. Correct. And I've Correct. sometimes, absolutely with clients, I've, I've said to them, you shouldn't, you don't need me. Yeah, we, you're, you're trying to solve a different problem. I can't help you with that problem. My friend Flavilla can help you. Talk to her. Mm. And clients are like, but, but you, that, then you won't get a deal. I'm like, no, I won't this time. No. But you'll remember me. Yes. And because, you know what, that's so important. And I, I talk about the, having so much integrity and not just be greedy. 
yeah. it makes a big difference. You know, like not all deals are for you. And I always say to people, do not be envious of someone in your industry is doing well. Your turn will come. And I think you have to stay, stay in your lane, focus on your own journey and focus on your own business and what you can do in that space. It's so, so key having integrity. A number of times that pays off because I'm not as interested in getting just my own. I want you to do well. So therefore work people who have the best experience and doesn't really need, mean us. So you just said something to me that really resonated. You say a lot of things further that resonate with me. But one thing in particular was, um, don't compare yourself to others. Mm. I was saying this to our son literally yesterday. You know, I, I, I think the league tables are a shocking measure of a child's success because it automatically pitches them against other children. What did they score? Right. How did I score against their score? It's not about that. Did you absolutely put your heart and soul into it? Did you do mm. your best? Did you improve from where you started from? Did it Was it better? Well, if it was and you really tried and you've learned something and you're prepared to do it again, well, that's great. Mm. Keep going. But comparing yourself to what your friend did, I think is a bit pointless. It needs to be pointless. It be pointless. It needs to be when we, you know, every journey is different. But I will, I want to add something to this as well, which is so important. And I think that if you don't get the deal, always find out why. And I think I'm surprised that we just don't actually find out why. Because it could be the fact that, oh, well, in this, at this moment, somebody was based, again, it could be the best friend or somebody was based locally or somebody who, who had, uh, you know, maybe someone who had language expertise, something played in their favor. Yeah. And that's why you have to understand that don't go and pitch for every single project. Find the project that are most, you're most likely to win and focus your energy on that. Because I also have massive impact on the, the team energy. If you keep applying and you never get it, because like, oh my gosh, are we losers? Like, no. no. And this is what's so important to say. Who are we known for? What are the clients that we want to work with? Who share the same values as us? And really see what we bring to the table as unique and we actually look forward to work with us. That's how you... You build, you know, an agency that really stands for and love them are doing some fantastic work. That is still love them are still trying to be a jack of all trades, unfortunately, and that's what is exactly so right. Specialization. Mm-hmm. So, as I don't, I don't want to um, abuse your time, Favela, because we agreed <laughs> about eleven forty-five. We're about there now. Um, oh, already! I know already. <laughs> so, what are the kind of the couple of things that you would advise people listening? If you're advising anyone about a couple of negotiation tips that would improve their negotiations, in summary, what would they be? Mm, I love this. That's a good question. And I think this comes back, this comes back to our expertise as an agency within the space of new marketing to the psychology of consumer behavior. So you have to understand how the brain works. So there's three, the brain is three part of the brain that you can trigger. So the first part is the instinct of survival. People want to, people never want to take risks. So when you go on Amazon, what you do when you look at a product, you scroll down to look at the, the reviews. How can you make create an environment that you have a safe choice to make? So speak to that part of the brain, the instinct brain. Then speak to the logic part of it. People are much more, you know, the, your procurement who want to get more rational information, provide them around like your process. How do you work? Do you have expertise? How can you demonstrate your expertise in your process so much more? And then third is your, is the emotional part of the emotional part, which is what is about your brand as a soul, you know, again, something, what you stand for and how do you align with our company and therefore want to work with you? I think it's so important. If people are able to communicate 
and focusing on those three elements, instinct, emotion, and again, something the rational part of the brain, the rational part of the brain, they are always, they're going to be able to always communicate and, and engage with different individuals in their space. And I mean, it's so simple. It doesn't have to be complicated. Yeah. It's just, you know, what makes you a safe choice? Until how do you have, do you have a process? It means that you are an expert. And federal, what makes you human and what's the, the soul of your business, which is having a brand. If we're able to do that and everything that they communicate, so it's not just about money. I always say to people like, the best brands in the world don't focus just on, don't focus just on money or just on, or they're great. If people know that they're great, they focus on making impact. And if you're able to, to, to add that element, even the most rational at the procurement team will still be driven by the emotional part of who you are as a brand. And you can bring them into, you can have them in your pocket. So that's the best advice I would say that, um, you know, be picky, choose who you really want to work with. And again, something having, understanding your, you know, what you stand for and your values will make it so much easier to win more business. That was amazing. And that, that last model, if I've got it right, instinct, the rational and the emotional, it's very similar to the Simon Sinek model of the mm. why, of the what, how and why. You know, everyone knows what they sell. Most people know how they sell it. Very few know why. And this model of instinct, make yourself a safe choice, rational, appeal to the ROI, and emotional, which is where a lot of people make their decisions, appeal to their emotions and about the humanity and about who you are as a person. I think it's brilliant. It's been a real pleasure, as I expected oh. it would be. <laughs> no, thank you so much, Mike, for having me. I think that's one of the things that I love to do and I love to share my own personal mistakes. And trust me, I've done so many. So it was really lovely. And I know that, you know, two of us could have been here for two hours. <laughs> we could, easily. Next time, maybe we will. <laughs> next time, next time. I'll look forward to the next time. Flavilla, that was amazing. Thank you ever so much. Where can people find out more about you? Very easy, easy to find Flavilla. You can type Flavilla. Google will give you the rest. Flavilla from Gang. But I'm very active on LinkedIn. So connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm on most social media platforms. The LinkedIn, I don't know. Check out freecolorswood.com. We're going for a refresh again, as, as every brand should be going for. And yes, yeah, so check out what we do. And if you're looking as well to collaborate, we are always open. That's what I love about the world of the agency. So it's always about collaboration. Lavilla Von Fongang, it's been amazing. Thank you for being a guest. My pleasure, Mike. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Drum Podcast series on Negotiation Insights with your host, Mike Lander. Please subscribe so that you'll catch the next episodes from our global marketing industry experts.